the New Zealand Business Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, your strategic and proactive IT partner. Welcome along to the podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and with me today is Richard Baitlick, who's uh, Chief Security Strategist at FireEye, a non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, and he's been involved in the cybersecurity world, I would say, probably since before the term existed, right, Richard? Uh, you've written quite a number of books over the years, and uh, when I look back on the titles of some of those, cybersecurity uh, isn't the term that was, that was used. That's true. Uh, My PhD advisor, Thomas Ridd, has a book coming out called Rise of the Machines, where he tracks the history of the term cyber. and actually goes back very far, but you're correct. Uh, Years ago, when I started in this field, it was information security, information assurance, and so forth. Well, let's uh, let's jump in. Yesterday at uh, New Zealand's inaugural uh, cybersecurity summit, one of your comments was that that organizations uh, should understand that it's not a matter of if they're going to uh, succumb to a cybersecurity attack, but uh, more when. Can you explain that? How, why are you so confident? Certainly. Um, so there are two broad classes of attackers in the world. There are uh, targeted attackers and there are opportunistic attackers. So not everyone will be targeted. Not everyone will get on the radar of, of one of these groups who decides that you are their new project and they're going to break into your network no matter what. However, the opportunistic attackers are checking out everyone. There are thousands of groups or individuals who are scanning the entire internet every day, looking for every system that they can find. And anyone that has a weakness could potentially be exploited by, by one of these groups. So it is a question of preparing for something that will happen. And it is 2016. We should be cognizant of the fact that there's a good chance something has already happened to you. So whenever I'm involved with a company that we're trying to help, I don't look forward and think about what could happen some point in the future. My first priority is to find out, has something already happened? Because the statistics are against us. Not only is it likely that something has happened to you, there's a good chance it happened months ago and you still, you don't know yet. And that's, that's the big challenge for, for most of the organizations we deal with. So looking at that bigger picture globally, I mean, what is, what is, what does the landscape uh, look like from a cyber security uh, perspective? What are the, what are the, the numbers and uh, you know, how, uh, how important is it that we're uh, uh, considering this area for our organizations? There's an assortment of of threat actors out there. You've got some people who are nation-state actors. They're directed by their governments, or they they work in collaboration with governments to achieve certain uh, desired goals, whether it's to obtain information for commercial purposes or for strategic purposes or whatever. There are groups that are out there strictly for the financial side. They're stealing personally identifiable information. They're stealing credit card numbers, bank account details. In some cases, they're tricking you into sending money someplace else. As we saw uh, within the last few months, the, the Bangladeshi Central Bank wired something like 81 million U.S. to criminals, basically, because they had a failure of their controls. You have some groups that are out there for fun. They're just playing with the internet and seeing what they can do. There are others that are politically motivated, so they may not like a a stance that your government has or even your company has, and they want to cause you some harm. So any one of these could be a problem you may have to deal with. 
Uh, and for some organizations, like financial institutions in particular, they're going to be hit by all four of those those groups. So they tend to uh, <laughs> have to spend a lot of money and resources and, and uh, business attention on dealing with those. And is it true the reality is for those larger organizations that, that they are getting hit by, by most of those and um, they're succumbing to some of those attacks? It's not, uh, it's not that our banks are actually impervious to, uh, to the attack, even though they have a huge investment uh, in most cases into cybersecurity. Uh, might have been a little bit different in that uh, Bangladeshi uh, mm-hmm. case, but uh, you know, certainly within the, within the Western world, um, there's a fair bit that's in, invested in this, but uh, still they're not uh, protected entirely, right? That's right. So there is no organization in the world that can stop a determined attacker. Nobody. Not the U.S. government, not the NSA. Nobody. But the difference is if you determine that someone has breached your defenses and you identify it quickly enough so that you can stop them before those intruders accomplish their mission, it doesn't matter so much that they broke into your environment. The problem comes when someone breaks into your environment and nobody knows. And they're there for weeks, months, maybe even years in some cases. So what differentiates the winners and losers in cyberspace as far as security goes are those who find something quickly and deal with it from those who never even find out. And to the extent those later or that latter group finds out, it's generally because someone else has to tell them, whether it's the uh, law enforcement or an intelligence agency or sometimes even a security company will tell someone that, hey, you've had a problem. Uh, Also popular uh, investigative journalists, they may discover that um, through their own sources that you've had a breach. And at that point, your (laughs) news of the breach comes from the newspaper or or a website where you read that your organization has suffered a breach. Not particularly nice from a credibility perspective, is it? No, no. And that's one of the biggest issues with with security is you want to control not only the story, but you want to control what's happening as much as possible. And if... If something happens and you find out quickly, even if there's been some damage, hopefully you can you can contain it. You can work to protect your customers, your employees, your partners. But if you find out that there's been a problem by reading it in the newspaper, you're in a, r- a real world of hurt right away. And for organizations that, that do get hit, mm-hmm. what sort of impact do we see? Are, there, are, are businesses shutting down because they've been hit by cybersecurity attacks? Is that a reality? It, it generally depends on the size of the organization. So the larger the organization, the easier it is for them to weather the problem. The smaller the organization, the, the, more, uh, the more likely it is that they're not going to be able to survive. Because many of the smaller organizations, um, if you can't make payroll, you might go out of business. If you can't pay back a loan, you'll go out of business. Whereas a larger organization, generally say a division of that large organization would be hit and the rest of the company can pull them through. Um, something similar happened with some very large breaches over the last few years. So, you know, A certain geographic area was, was hit. It, it was a, a hit to the stock price, a hit to earnings, but they're, they're still there. So I don't really see that many organizations going out of business. Now, what's, one thing you do see that's happening more and more these days are uh, executives will lose their jobs. So sometimes it's the director of security, sometimes it's the CIO, or sorry, the chief information officer, sometimes it's the chief technology officer, sometimes it's the chief executive officer who loses a job after uh, having a breach. So even if your company doesn't go out of business, uh, you may go out of business and have to find yourself uh, another job. Well, yeah, that's... Um definitely something most people would be probably quite keen to avoid. It's true. And unfortunately, to me, it's a little bit of blaming the victim. 
we have to remember that when there's an intrusion, there's a bad guy out there who's doing this for their own their own gain. And sure, you can say, well, maybe the organization needed to have a better security program. But if the intruder hadn't taken those actions, there wouldn't be as much of a problem. So we got to remember that at the end of the day, the intruder is the person who's at fault. And maybe there's a little bit of a, a responsibility on the victim side to do as much as they can. But at the end of the day, to your earlier question, nobody can stop every intrusion. Um, it really comes down to how quickly you can find the problem and deal with it. Okay. Well, maybe um, shortly we'll, we'll drill into what some of those things are that a responsible organization should be looking at. Sure. Um, but I'm curious, looking at smaller markets, so a country like New Zealand, for instance, how is the landscape different here to what it is on a you know on a broad global basis? I guess we have, you know smaller a lot of smaller businesses. Mm-hmm. Maybe we would see ourselves as as you know not being of interest uh, to attackers. But what's the reality with that? So, for an opportunistic attacker, simply being connected to the internet means you're interesting. If if you didn't have any information at all to protect, if you had no personal data, no credit cards, no bank details, simply by the fact that you have computers that are connected to the internet, you're valuable because you can be used to hide the intruder's identity so that the ultimate victim, say, in the United States or Canada or somewhere else, tries to trace who the attacker is, it comes back to New Zealand because your computers were used to launder those connections. Now, as far as small and medium-sized organizations go, the, the, the challenge to those sorts of organizations, they're not in business to be secure. They're not in business to run their own information technology. They're in business to do whatever it is that they were created to do. So larger organizations can generally um, create security teams and do so uh, via economies of scale. So it's not that expensive for them to do to do that. To hire the type of team or to build the type of team internally that you need to hold off some of these these intruders, it's too expensive for a smaller, medium-sized business. So in those cases, it's generally more economically feasible to partner with a security company to get some help. Now, we will do the same thing with large companies as well. But, you know, for example, to have a team that can hold off high-level intruders, you probably need 40 people or so working around the clock and such at some of the companies that I've, I've built teams at before. 40 people may be the entire the entire uh, employee workforce at a small company. So you can't, you can't just be in business to be secure. True. And you know, for those those business owners would say, well, look, we've, we've got nothing special here. We've got nothing uh, to protect. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are the realities? I mean, doesn't every small business, every business have uh, something that they, that they want to protect? Yeah, there, there's sort of two trends. One of them is, if you deal with consumers, you have something of interest. You have those consumers' credit card details. You have information about them. You're even your own employees. We've seen a rash of cases in the United States where businesses of all sizes have been tricked into sending their tax account details to attackers. And then those attackers um, file false tax returns with the, with the government and get the money back. And businesses of all sizes have been hit with that. It's, uh, very similar cases where businesses are being tricked into sending money um, to attackers, again, because they think that they're doing it on the command of the chief financial officer. It turns out it was, it was, a, it was a, a fake attack. So everybody has, has to deal with this. And, and the second trend along with those lines is more and more companies are becoming software companies. If you build something, chances are it's going to have a computer in it of some type. 
And that computer will have some issues. And so more and more companies are realizing, wow, we, you know, we used to sell radios, but now our radios can connect to the Internet. And suddenly it's possible to exploit that radio or, or a refrigerator or a car or a television or whatever. So that is a whole area where it's not just protecting your own information, your own computers. You have to be able to protect the devices that you're selling to the public. And that's a whole other level of, uh, of commitment as well. And then there's the topic of, of ransomware, and, and this is uh, certainly one I've you know, talked to a lot of people about and uh, discussed on TV. Um, there's a lot of fear around it. What's, mm-hmm. what's the reality in terms of what, it, what is the risk of, of uh, organizations getting hit with, with ransom, ransomware? So two years ago, if you had asked me about this, I would have said, well, historically, ransomware hasn't been that big of a problem. I don't even know if we were using the term ransomware two years ago. There were uh, certain software that was around that was, that was being used, CryptoLocker and such. But we've seen a ton of it in the last year. We've been responding to a lot of cases through, through our Mandiant and, and FireEye side. And generally, we have to come in to help once the victim is already paid. Because if, once your, your systems are encrypted, there's pretty much nothing you can do um, if you don't have good backups. So it is... A problem, and it's been accelerated by the the um, normalization of Bitcoin. So previously, you couldn't really do ransomware because it was too easy to, to follow the money that you were paying to the extortionist. These days, Bitcoin is sufficiently anonymous that the attackers feel comfortable extorting you and saying you have to pay me in Bitcoin. And there's enough people who understand what Bitcoin is, so they know how to pay. Um, so you've got this this confluence of, of issues that's making it very profitable for these these guys who are extorting you. And what's interesting is that unlike the people who would who would hit you with a denial of service attack to knock you off the internet, if you paid those guys, others would come in and hit you again because you were you were known as a victim who would pay. Thus far, with the the ransomware people, once you pay, they leave you alone. So. It's a different. Uh, it's a different model, and they've. It seems like they've worked out the business issues on their side. That's that's curious. Yeah. Now you mentioned uh, good backups being something that uh, that helps organisations that might get hit mm-hmm. with ransomware. But isn't isn't there a risk as we move to you know move forward in this? Is that the ransomware uh, people get smarter and smarter, and maybe they their software sits in your system for a while, actually destroys your backups over a over a period of time uh, before encrypting your your data or or uh, digitally shredding your data, as I often say to people. Aren't there risks around that, and even cloud backups and so on? that somehow they get in and affect those things too? Certainly. Um, although I tend to think that the ransomware guys might just find a new business model um, because it would uh, you're more likely to find out that something has happened, I think. But yes, what you, what you brought up is a very important point. In our field, nothing is static. As soon as you figure out a counter to something the adversary is doing, they're going to adapt just as is you know in, in warfare or in many other fields too often i find in our um in the technical community they have what's what uh strategist edward lutvac calls the delusion of the final move so you think okay i've solved this and then that's it when in reality there's another move coming of course and we have to think about what that next move will be yep now where should business owners go where should business leaders go in terms of you know, deciding what to do to 
minimize the risk to their organization what are the what would be the key uh, things that they need to to look at doing and, and I guess there's some variation from you know larger entities that mm-hmm. uh, are going to uh, be in a position to have a, a chief security officer and a you know and a and a, and a big team uh, down to your smaller organization that um, uh, just needs some very very simple advice but what would be your your general recommendations yeah so if you're a larger organization you I, Almost from a liability standpoint, you need to have a a chief information security officer. Many times if you've had a breach and the press launches onto it and they look and they say, well, who is your chief information security officer? If you don't have one, it's almost an admission that you were doing something wrong. So large organizations, you should certainly have one. Um, Within those organizations, you want to find out who's responsible for looking for intrusions. If you don't have someone whose job it is to find these problems, then that's a bad sign as well. Once you find that person, let's assume that person exists, you want to know how many bad things have happened to our company over time. These are all questions that business people should be asking these these departments. And then the next question you should ask is, well, how long, how much time elapsed from when the bad thing got into our, our network to when we discovered it? That's called the discovery time or the detection time. And then how much time elapsed from when we discovered it to when we dealt with it? That's called containment time. And you want those times to be as short as possible. You don't want them to be on the average of several months, as we find in our our global surveys of this sort of thing. If you can get it down to a few hours or even a few days, you're going to be able to survive these sorts of events. For smaller companies, what I recommend is recognize that you're not in business to do IT and you want to uh, partner with someone who can help you. Um, We provide, you know, just not as a commercial, but FireEye and Mandiant, we do this sort of work all the time. Um, You want to probably partner with a good cloud provider as well. Um, because they can provide you, at least in some cases, if you're, if you're dealing with a good cloud partner, um, a level of IT support that you can't get if you have that one IT person working in your company. And just as sort of a general, just general good hygiene things to keep in mind, any place that you can use two-factor authentication, so username and password plus a code that you might have generated on your phone or a little key fob or something, I highly recommend that. It's not, it's not impenetrable, but it does, it does up the ante for the intruder. Um, good backups we mentioned as well. And uh, being vigilant. If you're, if you're vigilant, that goes a long way. And that requires a level of education, doesn't it? That that vigilance with 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 staff. How how important is that awareness and and training uh, to the people across the organisation to know what sort of things to look out and to and to be you know cautious in terms of the things that they're you know opening and clicking on and running and so on. That, that's absolutely right. Um, the good news, well. It's a good news, bad news story. The bad news is there are so many bad things happening. They're in the news. The news. The good news is they're in the news. So you can read about there's a problem with people clicking on or, or, or receiving emails that say you need to transfer these money or these files to another business unit, but it turns out to be fake. So you can read about real-life incidents that are happening all the time in the news, and then you can say, well, what would we do? You know, what, what internal controls do we have to prevent that type of, that type of problem? And do you see sort of statistics on um, the impact that 
that it makes to an organisation by getting their staff trained up as opposed to just assuming that that it's going to be all handled by the technology? Because I think there is often that assumption that, look, you know, cyber security, that is up to to the tech heads to Mm -hmm. figure all that out and and to look after. There isn't any responsibility in the hands of the individual users, um, and there's, yeah, there's, you know, certainly that's thinking I've come across in the past mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, it certainly helps to have a, an engaged, educated uh, user population. I've, I have friends who founded a company called FishMe many years ago, and they do phishing testing, and they've been they've worked with organizations who they would send a fake phishing email to test them, and you'd get click rates of fifty percent or more. And after they go through the process of learning about what this looks like, they could get the click rates down under 10%, you know, single fi- signal figures. Now, you may say, okay, well, that there's still a decent number of people clicking on these things, but that's a, sm- a very, um, that's a big improvement in the number of cases that your security team has to work. And it makes it more difficult for the intruder to accomplish their objective. So, yeah, you can't, you're going to need a security team of some somewhere, whether it's internal or external. You're going to need some technology to help you reduce those things down to a to manageable level. And uh, you want to make employees part of that. Even even making it easy for them to report that something looks fishy. And I didn't mean that as a pun, but anyway. <laughs> um, if you get an email that looks suspicious, yeah. don't make them go through this whole process where they have to copy the email, attach it to another message, put it to the right person. They're going to forget about all that. If they simply have a button that says, report to the security team, click, and that takes care of it, that makes life a lot easier for everybody. That sounds like good advice. So making it very, very easy for people to advise these things is is super helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to. Yeah, I've been in many security, many companies, and had I've been on both sides. And any any time when I've been on the side to make it easier, that's what I've tried to do because uh, people aren't in business to be secure. They they don't go to work to fight off phishing. They they're there to do whatever they're there to do. Now. You talked about being able to look at the time that it takes to know that your network's been compromised mm-hmm. and, and so on. How hard is it to actually find that information out using technology? Because sometimes you know, you're not going to see anything obvious, right? And as you talked about, you, know, you could be finding out through the media, you could be finding out through other channels. Mm-hmm. What are the technologies and, and pieces in the picture to uh, to help discover these things really quickly and to and to bring those times down. Yeah. So something that we do and and a service that I've I've recommended for everyone is what's called a compromise assessment where mm. you bring someone in that says tell me if there are intruders in my company. Many people think in terms of doing a vulnerability assessment or a red teaming exercise. And those are great. The, you know the vulnerability uh, assessment will tell you if you have holes. The red teaming assessment will tell you if someone could break in. The compromise assessment will tell you, is somebody already there? You know, so the, the first one is, could I, could I break my window with a rock? The second one is, somebody breaks your window with a rock. The third one is, they check inside your house and find that there's already a robber there. I would much rather have the third one to, if I were to start with priorities. So, if, for example, if you were to hire me as your, as your chief information security officer, that's the first thing I would do. I would say, let's find out what the state of this this enterprise looks like same thing as if you go to the doctor and you get a blood test right what how am i doing you wouldn't necessarily talk so much about my diet and these sorts of things you'd, you know you'd weigh me you'd check my blood and 
see if my my joints react when you tap on my knee. These are the sorts of things we need to be we need to be paying more attention to. And that's a, a change in, in mindset. Lots of people don't really think about that. They don't. It's tough for someone to think about this threat that is invisible. You know, there could be an intruder on your computer right now, and you would never know um, unless they maybe took over your mouse or changed a picture or maybe started deleting some data while you were watching. And those are all things that happen, right? They have happened. I, I remember a case I worked once where uh, the intruder learned that I was there and started sending messages to employees who were at desks near where I was working. And it would pop up and say, hi, I'm here. And the employee would raise his hand and wave, and I'd run over to that computer. And then a message would be sent to another computer in a different cubicle, and that person would stand up and say, he's over here, and running around chasing after this guy. And this guy sitting in Romania must have thought it was a real, you know, real fun time. Uh, until we caught him. So with scenarios like that, is that just, is he just doing it for fun? Is that quite common to get people that are just sort of trying to, um, you know, wind you up a little bit? Well, this guy had already stolen uh, $10 million worth of equipment from this particular vendor. Okay. So it, he got what he wanted. He got what he wanted. However, once he learned that the, our incident response team was there, he tried to have some fun with us, but we had the last laugh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you actually nailed him? Oh, yeah. He was, well... He actually, he was part of an organized crime group, and once he was kicked out of this company and law enforcement was trying to uh, get a hold of him, he disappeared, and the story was that he didn't disappear on his own, that other parts of his organized crime group uh, took him out of the picture, because he was no wow. longer an asset, and he was a liability for them. Wow, yeah. wow. Um, but from that fun perspective, is, is there still much of that goes on? Because in the early days, there wasn't a whole lot of money to be made out of you know getting into people's computers and so on. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it seems to have the landscape seems to have changed. It certainly has. You can try to you can try to do the right thing. You, know, you could stumble upon a vulnerability in a service that you're using. You know, maybe you're trying to book an airline ticket. And you suddenly find you can get first class for free or something, and you may report that to the airline, and suddenly you've got a law enforcement banging on your door claiming you're a hacker so it's much different than it was in the 80s or the 90s for sure and what about the sort of bug bounties that are being you know put out there we've even seen the the u.s government sort of jumping in uh, on this concept does that make a a lot of sense to basically you know pay people to find uh, issues with your security sort of put it out to the general public so it's not an individual firm coming in to to audit you it's just saying look anybody that can uh, that can figure something out can let us know confidentially then um, then we'll put some money on the table yeah i'm not a an expert on bug bounty programs but i do think uh if you structure them properly they can be another tool in the toolbox and honestly the value of what some of these organizations get for the amount of money that they pay for the bugs is incredible. I mean, to think about paying someone full-time to find bugs, that's that's a lot of money to get somebody good, but you may be able to have this outsourced bug bounty program that's for a fraction of of the employment cost. So it tends to be a win-win for for Pretty good for the likes of Facebook and those very large organizations. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so any uh, any sort of closing advice or experiences you'd like to share? I would just advise companies to, to treat this as a business problem. This is happening. Organizations are being breached. 
uh, you are valuable. If you're, if you're not valuable, then you probably shouldn't be in business. And my guess is that everyone is in business for a reason because you're providing something of value. Um, if you're interacting with consumers or you're simply uh, not, you know, you're enterprise facing, you're doing something that is of interest to someone else. So at the very least, I would recommend that you find out if you've had a breach, bring somebody in and say, look, have we had a problem here? And if we have, did they leave or are they still here? Because if they're still here, we need to get rid of them. And you can use that experience as a way to improve your security, maybe create a security program for the first time, or, or at the very least, improve your security program uh, and change the mindset. Because um, the best way to, to launch a security program that I found, unfortunately, is to go through a breach. Um, everyone is very focused. Everyone is motivated. And uh, you get a lot of change that way. You do. You do. <laughs> I mean, it, it can be very hard to get, it can be very hard to sort of convince uh, people within an organization to make those investments. But uh, as soon as they've been hit, the, uh, the whole picture changes, doesn't right. it? Now, just uh, drilling in, you know, again, we've got a lot of those smaller organizations in New Zealand. There might be five people, 10 people, 50 mm-hmm. people. Is it affordable at that sort of level to get somebody to come in and, and see whether you've, you've been breached? It's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to think about that for an organization that's that small. Because mm, um, it's not something I've come across with the sort of small business end, end, right. end of things so much. But you certainly hear when someone knows they've been breached at that size and they'll, yeah. they'll change their habits. But um, it's usually a, re- a reasonably um, a, you know, a, a expensive uh, exercise to go through, isn't it? Yeah. At that si- well, at that size, you're probably not running your own IT I mean, you probably have laptops, but you're probably using someone else's mail. You're using storage in the cloud. Um, so what I would do if you're a business of that size is, is I would learn what type of security practices those vendors provide you uh, and what can they do to help you in, in the event that something um, suspicious is happening. Honestly, for an organization that size, I would make sure that I have good backups and that I um, use two-factor authentication and I keep my systems up to date. If you do those three things, those that, those are the best things I think you could do to protect yourself. Yep, and and I guess going through a, an audit or review process, even for those smaller businesses, and just making sure you've got all those uh, those core practices sort of uh, covered, and some of the other sort of smaller ones that fit alongside them is probably yeah fairly affordable, isn't it? Yeah, I mean you have to go through an exercise that says what's the most likely bad thing that's going to happen to me at that size. Maybe it's losing a key laptop. What do you what do you do if you lose that data? Or um, what if the data were encrypted by by ransomware or you know, those sorts of issues? And I would role play those out and say, well, if we lost this laptop, what would we do? Is the data available somewhere? I do the same thing with my own systems at home. Make sure, OK, if I lost the system, could I recover uh, if I can't recover? Or here's another one. Think about what you have in the cloud or elsewhere and think about could you deal with that being exposed? So if somebody stole it and put it on the Internet for everyone to read, can you live with that? And if you can't, maybe you should think about what you have in the cloud or what you have on your laptop and scrub some of that stuff. Um, that's a good exercise to go through as well. Email, the other, the other thing is email is, is very, very valuable to intruders. Um, when we deal with many cases, email is the first thing that's stolen. So think about what's in your email. Is your tax return in your email? Is your, you know, the equivalent of a social security number, some, some details that are very important to you, is it in there? And if they are, I would delete them, get rid of those emails. There's no need to keep that stuff around. How, how do they tend to use that information? It's for identity theft. They'll take your identity, they'll buy cars in your name or buy a house in your name or 
Uh, sometimes they file medical claims in your name. I wouldn't name. mind somebody else buying a house in, in my <laughs> name as, as long as the uh, the mortgage wasn't to me. I guess that's the problem, right? That's the problem, right? You find out year, or months down the line that uh, you haven't made your payments and or you know whatever the case may be. So that's that's the problem. It's the recovery. That's another issue I find, and this is something the government needs to work on, all governments should work on, is to make it easier for victims to recover. Um, at least in the United States, it's very difficult to recover from some of these identity theft cases, unlike, say, a credit card case. Very hard to prove that it wasn't actually you. Well, it, it's possible to prove that it wasn't you, but it takes so much um, effort on the part of the victim, and it can take a lot of time. And that's that's not acceptable, I think. That's great. Well, thank you very much for your time, Richard. Uh, it's been a great discussion. Yeah, thank you. Great questions. All right. We'll look forward uh, to seeing you again in New Zealand at some stage, will we? I hope so, and hopefully my family too. Excellent. <laughs> that's great. All right. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. The New Zealand Business Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, your strategic and proactive IT partner.